0: Uh, Moving very quickly on, uh, the eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that we have two chairs uh, next to me. Um, One of these chairs is for uh, Kerry Flynn, who is a journalist who's written for Huffington Post, Forbes, Money Magazine, and is now business reporter for Mashable, with a particular specialism in the tech industry. The other chair is for Gary Vaynerchuk, who has a formidable um, headline, which is, Gary Vaynerchuk builds businesses. And that is something that absolutely no one can argue. Straight out of college, he took his family business from 3 million to 60 million in five years. Uh, He's a prolific angel investor and venture capitalist um, with investments including Uber, Facebook, and Birchbox. He now runs VaynerMedia, a social media first digital agency, um, and has been named to both Fortune um, and Crane's 40 under 40 lists this year. Uh, Please welcome Kerry and Gary.
1: Hello. Hey guys, thank you for that great introduction. Um, so yes, I'm Carrie Flynn. I write for Mashable, and I'm here with Gary. So I'm guessing you guys—I mean, you got a brief introduction. I'm thinking you guys probably all know Gary Vaynerchuk, but I would love Gary for you to just introduce yourself. When you go to an event, how do you how do you introduce yourself?
2: Well, I think you know. I think the fragmentation of attention and marketing and comms is so intriguing. I actually think how many people here have no idea who I am? Raise your hand. Oh, that was pretty, that was better. I'm th- that was a good ego boost. I, you know, <laughs> usually usually how I go into conferences is ask that question, and the number is always very, very high, and I can always see, like, the organizer squirming of either they overpaid me or they feel bad for me. Um, <laughs> but usually, I, you know, I contextualize myself as an entrepreneur, um, but I always reverse engineer the audience, right? Like, my biggest, my biggest want up here in our next 30 minutes is, I was walking around and looking at name tags, asked ahead of time, we talked, like to me, what I'm gonna deliver is the context of what I think is the most interesting and most valuable thing to talk about to the people in the room. I think as somebody who's been on stage a lot, I'm fascinated by how 80% of presentations are just one long press release, right? so. I think I take this very seriously and, and the way I introduce myself usually is under the context of what could conceivably bring value to the people in the audience.
1: Great, well then let's talk a little bit about <coughs> banner media in terms of building that out because it seems to be you really went with that mission in mind. What did you really want to offer the world that didn't, ha- that didn't exist
2: before? So I I, I grew up in my family's liquor store business and I launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses in 1996 and I built my business with no money and the reason it became a big business was because I bought Google AdWords the day it came out for five cents a click for the word wine and because I started a YouTube show five months after YouTube came out and because I had an email newsletter in 1997 that had 91% open rates. And so my entire narrative has been very simple and I think for all of us in this room, I think the world is pretty basic, mainly because I'm pretty basic, which is there's overpriced attention and there's underpriced attention. And while most of the world spends a lot of time trying to quantify and find the ROI of underpriced attention, I think the better model is to be a practitioner on your intuition around normal people's behavior, learn it, and maximize the ROI. So I did that for my family business. That went great. Then I invested in all these companies, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, made a lot of money. And then I decided in my continued mission to buy the New York Jets, though they're testing me, um, (laughs) that the way I was gonna do that was to buy brands and flip them. So I think nostalgia is the most underpriced asset in the world, and so my dream is to buy Tootsie Rolls or K-Swiss sneakers or what have you at scale 50, 60, 100, 200 million dollars, do the thing that I do, and then flip it for one billion dollars, and that's how I think I, from a self-aware standpoint, can achieve my audacious goal. To do that, I knew I knew that I needed to understand marketing and media at the scale of which I wasn't playing at as an entrepreneur and as an investor. So I decided, seven years ago, to eat shit for a decade and build a client service business. and. And <laughs> and, um, and I needed to learn why all these big brands were doing the things that I thought were stupid because I didn't have the audacity or the ego to think they were stupid, I just knew they were playing a different game. I had to understand why. I'm a bad student, I learn by doing, and so I set out to build the best marketing machine is what I would call it more than an agency and and so you know we've grown very fast the first two years i was still busy with the wine business and i had a book that went very viral that kind of dragged me out there and but for the last 5 years i've run the business we've gone from 30 to 750 people from 3 to 100 million in revenue all organic no MA. so we've built a real big business And I think we've done it because our interests have been aligned with our clients because I'm not trying to build an agency to sell to Martin Sorrell, I'm trying to buy, build an agency for myself to become my clients which has allowed us to be very aligned with our clients which is very different than the marketplace of media agencies and marketing agencies and we also do every capability because I'm building it for myself. We do media buying and creative and analytics and dev. And so that's that's why it happened. Well
1: let's talk about the early days then you said you looked around and saw all these brands doing quote unquote stupid things. Yes. Listen what are you don't have to name names if Television. you don't want to, but give me some examples about
2: what were people uh, doing wrong. Yeah I mean look I mean to sit in this room in October twenty sixteen and have you know, it's funny. Let's take this, go out with one of your friends that has nothing to do with marketing or business and explain the following. Okay, so here's how it works. A human, a single human at an agency, a creative lead, and another human on the brand side, and let me tell you about the human on the brand side. This person went to business school to sell stuff and run an operational p and These two people sit, the creative single person humanly makes a subjective call on a tagline and a video concept, narrows it down from the seven or eight ideations of his or her team to one or two because you only have an hour to present it. They go to the human that is there to run a p and and the two of them make a subjective creative call of what that business should stand for for the entire year and then that company takes 60 to 80% of its monies and makes a single 30 second video to be played in a commercial format in 2016 and this is to drive the sales of their business. There's no common sensed human on earth that thinks that's a good idea. <laughs> we in the marketing world play that game, I think that's insanity, that excites me, that's the opportunity. Uh, so, <laughs> No, but really, I mean, like, like on a serious, like, I mean, I, you know, I don't know who does what. I mean, and I could be wrong. Let the market play itself out. But who watches a commercial in 2016? Like, so here, and I want to quantify this. I'm not a digitalist or a futurist. I think the Super Bowl commercial is the number one buy in marketing. If I buy a brand tomorrow, then and I have a limited amount of money, the first thing I buy is the Super Bowl because everybody in America is going to pay attention to that, whether they watch it on YouTube or during the game, and I have 30 seconds to tell you what I'm about. The problem with Super Bowl ads is they're a showcase for creative agencies to get new clients and acquire more talent. They're not there to sell shit, right? So I think that's the best buy in marketing. I think the worst buy in marketing in the world is the second most expensive commercial on television. I don't know what that is, whether it's the Oscars or the AFC Championship game or the Emmys. I don't know what it is, but it's the worst because we don't watch those commercials. It goes to commercial and we grab our phone and we talk about that dress or that play or what just happened, our attention's not there. My living is very simple. In my bio where it says I build businesses, I don't know what paper my team sends around these days, but on the website it says comma, I day trade attention. Attention is the only asset. It's the only asset. And there's overpriced attention and there's underpriced attention. Direct mail is overpriced attention. It works, spend $100,000 in on direct mail, you will get things to happen, but when you know that there's a Facebook targeted world out there that you could do it better and cheaper, that's a better idea. And so that's just what I spend my whole life doing. Like, What's overpriced, what's underpriced, what's practical. I try to put myself out of business every day. If I started VaynerMedia today, we would be an Alexa voice, message bot, top level domain consultant, video production vertical phone shop. So, so, so um, I, I don't know, what are we talking about? <laughs>
1: I think, Yeah, we are just about what you guys are. I mean, you talked about television, you talked about Facebook. So from, you know, I would understand that people in the room here can say there are certain agencies that specialize in television. There are certain agencies that specialize in digital. There are certain agencies that, yeah, like you're saying, are specific voice recognition chatbots. You guys do actually want to conquer it all.
2: Yes, and when I say conquer it all, A, my first level of responsibility is to deliver for our clients because they're paying us. So Vayner in its current form today, what we want to do for a living is we want to spend our clients' money in a way that sells them the most stuff or whatever they're trying to achieve. And we are completely agnostic to where that is. I built my career on Twitter. It's where I came out of for some of you that know who I am. I wasn't happy that Twitter was losing attention in 2011, but when I was making those videos five years ago, like I'm worried about this, Like I was worried about it. I was at the top of the heap. I was one of the 25 most followed people in the world on Twitter. Like, life was good. I wish Twitter stayed for a thousand years. It would have been easy. I wasn't happy to put in work on Vine and Snapchat and Instagram. It just, it's not my choice. And what I'm fascinated by is how many people are willing to draw lines in the sand and hold on to things because they're in their short term financial vested interest. It is a massive business vulnerability. And uh, so, what do people need to get rid
1: of? Like if you had to give people a list of like three things maybe people should stop doing in their current agencies.
2: Emotion. Emotion's a good thing to get rid of. And I mean that. I, I think like a lot of things that are holding people back is, is the emotion of it. They hold certain things on a pedestal. We hold, for example, let me, let me give you a good example. We think somehow in our current society we've decided that if you write another human being a letter that you are somehow now the greatest fucking human being on earth. <laughs> Like we put things on pedestals for no reason. We are so scared of change that we put writing a letter on a pedestal because this somehow means you care so much versus a text which at the end of the day are exactly the same thing if you write the same thing. It's the message is the same. It's the medium of delivery. So I think the first thing that people need to do is actually get rid of emotion. Number two is have a real conversation about measurement. Mm (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like measurement is, you know, one of the great things that happened to me is I started an agency knowing nothing about the business. And I mean nothing. I knew nothing, it was actually quite stupid. But you know, um, but what I did know was my life as an immigrant that had a family liquor store business, our KPI was not winning an award in France or getting a headline in a magazine or some bullshit modeling mix that was manipulated to force the company to spend money on what they believe in. Like our KPI was selling Pinot Grigio. Right, and so having that DNA has helped me. The amount of times I've walked into a meeting where the Millard Brown case study, the data logic study, and the MMM have said everything is phenomenal and the business is down 17% is way too often and somehow we accept that. So I think we have to have a far more serious conversation around measurement because we're measuring the wrong things. This is, we are absolutely somehow eliminating common sense from the equation. I mean, there's a lot I mean I just think it's fundamentally fascinating. I mean, I don't think agencies are built to have aligned interests with their clients, which is why you get into weird tactics. I think there's hidden cost in production, which is ludicrous. I mean, I don't know. I think the whole thing is fat I don't think it's by the way, who am I? I'm one dude. I just think that I just think that it's a very interesting ecosystem. Like I went to a meeting where the First presentation was by a PR company that claimed that some mention in HuffPo 14 pages into their website attributes 80 million impressions for the month. I mean, like, we're just playing weird games. I think we're, a lack, we're just eliminating common sense, and I think that's a huge mistake.
1: Yeah, I think metrics is a great thing to talk about in terms of that. So, what, in terms of what you're focused on when you present to your clients, I'm sure they still expect you to present a report of the traditional oh,
2: metrics. We do tons so what of worship stuff. <laughs> We, we do ton of horseshit stuff because we, they force us to after this conversation. We say to them, we want to sh- measure sales. We, you know, we want to measure the thing, donations, like the thing. Like TV clients, Nielsen ratings, because that's your currency that you make money on. Like we want to measure the thing. The problem is 99% of our clients do not put us in a position to measure the thing. Which gets me into like, why doesn't anybody want to measure the thing, right? Like, Like, I think nobody wants to be held accountable. I think one of the great things about corporate America and agency landscape that I didn't understand was I used to be mad at everybody. Mad that you didn't care enough to do the right thing. Then what I realized is I can't be mad at you. The game is structured in a way that people are playing within it because you have mortgages and a family, like, you're just, you're making decisions not on what you believe, you're making decisions on what is palpable and acceptable within the ecosystem that's created. I get it, I'm, I'm more empathetic to it. Here's the punchline though, if you're doing something to grow within an organization or not rock the boat and have stability, it doesn't mean what you're doing is right. It just means it's right for you within the context of the game that you chose. In that human vulnerability is enormous amounts of business opportunity, I plan to exploit that.
1: <laughs> so in terms of that, like you have these conversations but people just don't want to change, right? So,
2: how do you make people change? You, you just don't, keep doing you. You don't. I, I could care less if anybody changes. As a matter of fact, I prefer that nobody changes. Because when I get to the second part of this, it'll give me more time to do my thing. So, I just want to be historically correct and I want to inspire some people that just need a little tip to go do the right thing and I want to look back at these videos and be like, fuck, you were smart. And, and I just want to just do, like, just... I mean, eventually, see, what's interesting for me is there's a whole next generation of people like, and this is gonna create business opportunities. I'm right and everybody knows it because you're right, you know it. I'm not a genius. I'm just in a situation where I'm allowed to talk about it in a way that's different than a lot of people. Everybody knows you live your life one way and then put, you put on your clothes that you wear to work, your jersey, and you act totally different because you play within the context of what's acceptable. You don't believe in the shit you're selling and I don't mean all of you, like a, a portion of you. I just, I just genuinely believe that. You know why? Because at three o'clock in the morning, a can after a bottle of rose, you all tell me. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, it's interesting. And this happens everywhere. Like, I yell at kids to not take VC money because VCs are giving you advice because they just need one home run Mm -hmm. and they're gonna drive all the rest of you into the ground to overextend your business because for their business, they just need one. So like, I think you have to understand the seed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, most of the agencies in this room and in the market are part of holding companies that are publicly traded companies, which means they have to basically play a 90 day you know, Wall Street Dynamics, which that's what maps their behavior. There's no HR talk, you know, like, but for me there's HR talk. I spend all my time on HR, comma, I'm the CEO, because I'm building something for the rest of my life and I need these people, so I have to care about them. So again, it has nothing to do with, like, anything other than if you understand the North Star and you can reverse engineer it, that is where all the true answers are.
1: Well then maybe a picture of how Vaynermedia looks. I mean you call yourself the CEO. What does CEO mean at Vayner and who do you surround yourself with? that perhaps I'm sure as you know like is different than the current maybe structure of other companies here.
2: No, I think we have a lot of similar structures. I think the only difference is that Claude Silver, my chief hard officer, is the number two person in the company and that my CFO Scott has no say, right? So like we're not financially driven, right? We're not financially driven. So that's probably the only subtle difference. We look like everybody else you know i've tried because i had blind you know i had naive eyes i did a lot of different things but there's a lot of tried and true in the way you should be structured i think i think the thing that the one thing that my leads know is I don't want, so nobody's incentivized to grow business. So one thing that's weird about us is a lot of people come from all these great shops and they think they need to grow the p because they'll get a bonus and that's good for them. So I've eliminated that because I want our team to play well in the sandbox with other partners because that's the right thing for the client. And the only way you can really do that is if you create the infrastructure for that because if you incentivize them around dollars, they're gonna fight for dollars, right? So the only thing they have to do is be historically correct. Like to me, people are gonna move brands, this and that. Like a lot more people give us business today by the things they thought we were stupid about three years ago and now they believe it, right? People don't forget. So I don't need to win the scope. I need to make sure that everybody understands where we stand on how it plays out and what's in the best interest to sell the product. And so those are the things that are different. But otherwise, I don't know, we have a creative department, we have account, we have strategy, insights, analytics, it's the same horseshit. Well, if you had to,
1: you know, add a new division or expand in a certain way, what, what would you do next? Unlimited well, resources, what are you doing next?
2: Well, I think we're, I think we do that. I mean, I, I'm losing all sorts of money investing in, you know, message bot infrastructure. We have Smart, the smartification stuff. Like, I'm, again, building it for myself. Thus, I'm losing on my P&L every day with departments that don't return because the clients don't want it yet. To me, I'm always building for something that's 12, 24 months ahead of time. I don't think you should build anything for five years out. I think that lacks practicality. I think if you see the world in a 12 or 18 month window and you can go there, that feels real and that's what I've kind of tried to rinse and repeat. So we do a lot of that. You know, we invested in vertical video people two, three years ago because we saw that playing out and that's worked out for us because the market has moved more in that direction. We, you know, we, we invested in 70, you know, what I would call new digital paid media people who probably believe more in feed dynamics of social networks than programmatic banner buying or you know, things of that nature, and that's working out for us. So I think, you know, I'm, it's not even unlimited budgets what I think I'm doing now, which is if I believe anything is meaningful to sell something or communicate something, we will invest in it immediately. We have, we have analysts and strategists who spend time on analyzing musically a year ago. You know, and so that's just kind of how we go. Awesome. Well, i mean you guys have offices in multiple places. Do you wanna grow your physical presence anytime soon? Yeah, so we have an office in um, New York, LA, San Francisco, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and London. So I'll speak about Chattanooga, Tennessee, and London. Chattanooga is one of probably five to seven more offices that I will build in cities that are not New York, LA, San Francisco, and Boston. There's another part of America, I don't know if you've heard, and there's a lot (laughs) of it, and so I want to have offices there, because if I buy a brand that mainly sells in middle America at Dollar General, having a footprint in these markets for a decade is gonna be smart. Same thing with London, and Asia, and other places we will expand. I'm I'm very single-minded, I'm gonna buy brands, that are underpriced because big holding companies are not supporting great brands because they don't have the money for it, they're only supporting top five brands. They're gonna sell it to me for a nickel on the dollar. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna refurbish it in a 2022 world for whatever that is. And I'm gonna run it through my machine with the people that have been with me for 15 years because we give a shit about them. And then we're gonna build the fuck out of it, flip it, buy the New York Jets, win Super (laughs) Bowls. (laughs) Did (laughs) you?
1: Do you see yourself then it 's keeping Vaynermedia like as it is you know when you buy the jets, is vaynermedia still going to be around
2: that 's something i didn 't see, which I hate talking about. i thought I thought I would build like a hundred person shop
1: mm-hmm.
2: it 'd be great we 'd buy a brand, you know i'd take forty people over to it, I would help the other sixty get jobs or put them in my other investments, like really take care of the crew uh, and move on my merry way. What ended up happening is Look, we've gone from 30 to 750 people in four years, five years. Like there's gonna be a lot more people than I anticipated when the brand comes. So now I've start, you know I've written a bunch of books. I've started writing one called The By Accident Billion Dollar Company. And it's really the chronicles of building Vayner and why I did it and what happened. And why did I why was I able to build a big, big, big business really fast? Because our interests are aligned with our client. Like it's like it's just, you know it's always things, it's always at the tippy top, right? Like everything that's broken at VaynerMedia, my fault. Everything is about the top. So um, now I realize, oh shit, I'm gonna have a holding company of brands, but in parallel, I'm also gonna have VaynerMedia. I'm gonna take the top talent each year and graduate them into the brands that I own, but two interesting things are gonna happen. One. I think I'm gonna be able to get the best talent in the world into Vayner, because if the word on the street is, if you go work at Vayner and you crush it, that you can then go and work on Hershey's Kisses or Keds and get a piece of the action and make lots and lots of money, that's gonna bring unbelievable talent. And two, when I go pitch for new business at Media, instead of saying like, here's our sizzle reel or our capes, I'm gonna be like, hey, Four and a half years ago, we bought Snickers. It was doing 237 million in revenue. Now it's doing 8.7 billion because of what we did. That's our pitch, motherfucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, so yeah, I mean, convincing someone to work at Beta, I don't think, should be too hard. But.
2: I don't think so. I think, like, look, I mean, like, everybody here knows that that works in it, like, and, they, yeah. and they respect it, and I respect it. I'm not mad at a holding company. They're not, you know, what are they like? This is not a nonprofit world. It's just, you have to be smart about why things do what they do. And I think that I'm excited to create a new model in this ecosystem because one thing I have done is fallen in love with the DNA of the people within it. These are storytellers, these are salespeople. Like, these are my, this is cool, this is what I am. I didn't realize it, but like, this is what I am too. A little bit of a different version of it, but pretty much what I am. And so I think the machines that have been put in place aren't great for the people and I think that, it's, I'm not gonna be able to employ everybody. What I'm gonna do is be ridiculously successful and inspire Sally to go and build it too and create all new alternatives. Great,
1: well we have about five minutes left so I wanted to open up to audience Q&A. So yeah, cool you. <laughs> let's I prefer. do it, firing any questions. Anyone, anyone here? Questions? Awesome. Uh, you said you don't incentivize people for new business. How do you go about new business? Do
2: you find that people are coming to you because they know you? Do you get involved in pitches? How do you go about growing? Both of those things. And then the other thing that I didn't know because I wasn't from the industry is when you do really good work and people believe in you and they go move to other companies, you get them, right? So a lot of it comes from my personal brand equity. Like I'm, I'm not building the Gary V shit for just my ego, you know, and so um, we get that, but at this point we're at such massive scale, you know, whether it's the GE work or the Pepsi work or, or the Toyota work or, the, you know, we're, we're out, we're doing a lot of business and a lot of people are moving and we're just winning word of mouth. Again, I'm telling you, as cool as I am and I'm, I go to the sales meeting, I'm a great salesman, it's, the only thing that matters is the steak, not the sizzle. The sizzle's the gateway drug to the steak and, and that's why we're growing. What percentage of what, my friend? Right, right the of incentive compensation? Yeah. Like, like if we grow this business, they'll kick us back dollars? Zero. And, and by the way, I'd love to do all of it that way. Mm-hmm. The problem is, these CFOs in procurement in corporate America think I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like the incentive plans are ludicrous. And by the way, I would take it, but nobody's, we're not big enough yet or like real enough yet for corporate America for them to le- really let me control everything. I'm not gonna be at the mercy of like Digitas's media plan. You know, I have to run, it, and that, that's not a dig at Digitas, first thing, to, <laughs> you know, that's, it's just, the, I need to be, if I'm gonna be, if like, I'm like, on the, on the line, I need to control everything. Then it's real, right? So, zero so far, though it's kind of weirdly what I thought I was gonna do, you know? Stinks, but I think I'm gonna play the ultimate version of that. When I write a check for $88 million, right, to buy Pop Rockets, you know, like, like it's, you know, it's, gonna, it's gonna, that's the ultimate putting your money where your mouth is. And that's what I came from. That's what I'm actually way more comfortable with. All this politicking horseshit, nah.
0: Hi, I'm behind the pillar. I'll step forward. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> How just, are you? <laughs> Hi. Uh, since you said you want to serve the people in this room, they yeah. just heard about a half an hour ago that they're the most depressed people in the agency. I'm sorry? They just heard they're the most depressed group of people. Who, these the, people? Mm-hmm. Because they're In her. the agency world, because they're strategists.
2: OK. What do you say to them? I mean, what's, you know, what do you say to help? You know, I probably can't, you know, one thing that I've really enjoyed about me getting more comfortable in my own skin is I, I like saying I don't know more than I used to. I'm not sure to how to fully answer that. I'll tell you, I'm a weird guy to ask that. This, I don't know how this is gonna come off, but I was really against having a strategy department because I was like, why would I hire people to just be account? Like, and just be, you know, management, I need people to think. What you guys know, what I've learned is, not everybody can do both, I've, I've come to learn that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know why they're the most depressed from what I've learned, and this is, this is great, I think you guys might enjoy this, because this is really coming from left field, and I don't have a lot of good data on this, other than my own experiences. I think you guys are being held on a pedestal in most places, right? Like, like I, when I look at a lot of places, that I like, I'm like, I'm so surprised that like nobody talks until the strategist talks or things of that nature. I also think maybe I saw the, the lovely lady with the camouflage shake her hand. And I was like, I was like, okay, then maybe she means like the like to me. It's crazy that the cre- like in a creative shop, the creative is the most powerful in a world where this is all subjective until it hits the market. You know, I, so I don't know the context of why the market would think strategists are the most oppressed. Is it? because strategists are similar to CMOs, which is they have say, but not the ultimate say, and people fuck up their thoughts in execution. I'm not sure, but, but here, here, you know, maybe. So, so, but here's what I'm gonna say, but here's what I'm gonna say. But then creatives are gonna talk about how the media plan fucked them up, and this and that, like, everybody's, everybody's fucking crying. Like, like, every discipline is crying. If this was a fucking creative, they would say that. Like, everybody's crying. I think people need to stop crying. That we need to, I, think people, I think people need to start understanding how much of this is subjective. We, by the way, the agency, big brand world, everything happens up front. All the fighting and the jockeying and the work and the debating, all this shit happens up front. Guys, we live in 2017. This all needs to happen after it hits the market. I mean, this whole thing is so fucked up, it's built for television. It's not 1986. Sorry. Go read what happened in the late 50s and early 60s, mid 50s, early 60s on the transition of radio to television. That's what we're living through. And then you will start making very different decisions in your career and probably in your strategy meetings. Are we probably have time for one more? Yeah, let's do it. Hi Gary. How are you? Good, thank you. Great. So I'm an immigrant too and I totally support your ambitions and (laughs) I believe you'll buy the Jets one day. Thank you darling. I (laughs) I love you. (laughs) And I'll be the one cheering you on. Thank you. But um, I'm just curious uh, how you see America has changed for you to execute those ambitions from when you were a child till now. That's a great question. I think not a whole lot. I mean that. I think what immigrants, especially Soviet immigrants that truly come from communism understand is there's certain things that are worse, there's certain things that are better, you know? It's evolved, but like, I always deal in alternatives. Like, here's what I know. In the last eight years, 12 years, actually the last 12 years, I've had friends on both sides of the aisle who told me, if this person wins, they're moving to Canada, right? If Bush gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. If Obama gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. So far, nobody's fucking moved to Canada. <laughs> So, you know, you know, I don't I, for me to ever think, for a pure bred entrepreneur to ever think the president of the United States has any impact on her or his ability to execute in this game, they're a fucking loser. So I don't I don't think it's changed at all. I think there's a lot of different dynamics. And I think if you really, really, really want to look at it at a macro level, you know what I'm most thankful for? that it's even for all the horseshit we have around gender and minority or things of that nature, my daughter is in a better position to execute than she would have been if she was my age. It gets better. I don't give a fuck what the world tries to tell you of how bad it is because that's what drives Nielsen ratings on mainstream media. It's fucking good. It's good. Like the problem is we are sold the 1% that's bad every single day 24-7, 365. So I think it's great. Super opportunity.
1: I think that's a perfect note to end on, on the opportunity point. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.